0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. How you guys doing? Doing good? Yeah. Um, I, I I do feel like someone here, maybe that, that you could take that word and just claim it as your own, that you know, if you feel like you're in a season of being alone, you feel like uh it's just this time where, where no one else is around. Rather than seeing it as a bad thing, rather than seeing it as I'm alone, maybe see it as a time where it's, it, God's brought you to this place of just wanting to be with you without distraction of anyone else around or anything else around. And suddenly what felt like a negative and what felt like this thing that maybe was a, uh, a bad thing becomes this, this season where it's like you just press into him. I remember when I first got born again, um, God delivered me from so many things. And I remember... Um, there was this season, I'd first moved here and I was really just getting alone with him all the time and I'd find myself just in the word and just spending time communing with him in prayer. I'd get up in the morning, I'd go to work and I worked this job where I, I was by myself all day. I was doing vinyl siding and I would just start the houses and get them up a certain height and then, hold on, i got to adjust this real quick, here we go, and, um, and then the crew would come behind me and they'd finish them off and so I was working alone all day every day. And I remember the first few days that I did it thinking, man, there's no one else here to talk to. And then I realized, like, man, I could spend all day with him without being distracted by what anyone else around me wanted to talk about or, or what they were doing or anything else. I could just be alone with him. And so I spent that time just chewing on things that I'd been reading in the Word. And I would, I'd get up in the morning, and I'd be reading the Word. I'd go to work, and I'd just spend all day talking to him and just having communion with him and being with him. And I remember every day, and then I began to look forward more and more to that time to the point where if I saw people pull on to the job and start coming up that you know, I knew that wanted to talk, it almost became a distraction from the main thing. And I had to learn to, to see that as a good thing and to be able to pour out what God was pouring into me and in those times because you know, it started out being alone was the, was the thing that I was like, man, I'm all alone every day. And then it, started, it got to the point where it was like anybody coming was almost an intrusion on my alone time with him. You know, it's crazy how just a change in perspective, it's the same situation, but a change in perspective can totally change the way you see something and the way you feel about something. And so, if you're in one of those seasons right now where maybe you feel alone, you know, maybe you feel like, like you don't have, you know, the, the, the level or depth of, of, of friendships or people have moved, or maybe people have moved to different seasons of life, you know, and you're still in the same season you were in. Instead of seeing it as a bad thing, start digging really into him and saying, God, is there something during this time that you want to be for me and that you want to show me? And just spend time being with him and find yourself alone with him. And pretty soon you'll start to realize, like, man, I, there's, I would get home and I would run, go to my room and some days I, would, um, I wouldn't even eat because I would start reading the word and spending time with him and I'd fall asleep with my Bible in front of me. And I'd wake up and, and be like, oh, geez, I didn't shower. And I'd take a shower and get ready and go to work and, and do the same thing. And it just became this thing where it's like I just crave being alone with him. Spending time with him. And so, um, and, you know, there's a balance to everything. But I just, I really feel that like for some people in here. If you feel like you're alone right now, like, rather than seeing it as a bad thing and trying to figure out what to do to not be alone, see it as maybe it's a season where he's drawing you away just to be with him because there's things he wants to do and he wants to be for you during the season um, so that in the next season you carry whatever it is he wants to do now into that next time. Um, we're going to take over our offering real quick. That was free. Now you'll get what you're tithing for in a second. But, um, <laughs> but you got to pay first. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, you know what? Listen, if, if, uh, if when I said we're going to take up our offering, if anything in you was like, oh, man, just, just uh, instead of giving something, you know, the, 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 the word says that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Well, he you knows that he loves you. So that doesn't mean, well, he only loves me if I'm cheerful. It means he wants you, the person he loves, to be in a place of being a cheerful giver. And so if that's what he desires, that there's a place in him where you actually can be cheerful about the fact that you're giving. And if you're not, if you're anything but cheerful, rather than giving and faking it, because it doesn't really matter if the people around you think you're cheerfully giving, right? Like, so great is your reward among men. There, you have what you wanted, right? You faked everybody out, and everybody thought, wow, they're so cheerful. But it's, it's, he's looking at the heart. And so if your heart's not in a cheerful place, it's, it's okay, if you're honest with him, and just get alone with him, like we are just talking about. Just just ask him, God, why is it that I'm not cheerfully giving? Your word says you love a cheerful giver. What am I not seeing, or what am I not understanding, or what is it that's causing me to be anything but cheerful? Because if that's what you want from me, then I know that that's a place that you have for me that I can be. Because you're not a frustrating father. You've never called me to something without enabling me to be in that place. So, God, I just thank you for that. I thank you for cheerful giving of everything that we have, God, of of this amazing gospel that you've given us, God, that we can cheerfully give it no matter what the situation is, God. In season or out of season means that there is no season for the gospel. It's always time to share. It's always time to proclaim truth. It's always time to love one another. And so, God, I just thank you for that. I thank you for bringing us to that place that you want us to be in, where we're cheerful givers of everything that you've entrusted to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, uh, so before we get started, I, I want to do something real quick. I just saw um, there's a young lady that comes to our church named Kayla, um, and and uh, she's been coming for a while, helps in Children's Church. She's an awesome lady. And she recently uh, lost her father this week. And I just want us as a church family to pray over her, pray over her family. Would that be okay if we do that? Yeah. Because I, I see you sitting there, and I see... I know what's behind that, and I I know that that even though you trust and even though you're thankful for where your Father is, I know there's hurt, and I know that there's loss, and it's real. And we don't want to gloss over that and act like we don't see that and act like it's not there. And so we just as a church family, can we just come around you and just pray for you and, and, and encourage you? So, God, we just thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you that if it's not for Jesus, that this right here is all we have. But because of Jesus, God, we have eternity to be together. And we're so thankful for the time that we have here on earth with each other because we know that that will only be multiplied for eternity. We thank you, God, for the gospel. We thank you for right now being the Prince of Peace. God, you call the Holy Spirit the Comforter. And so we pray that he would be who you've called him to be in Kayla and her family's life right now. In Jesus' name, would you send the Holy Spirit in a greater measure to comfort, to bring peace, God, to, to, trouble, to still troubled thoughts, God, that that we thank you that the enemy has no place in attacking her mind right now. In Jesus' name, we just ask that you put a hedge around her, God, that you would be her shield, her buckler, her rear guard, that you go before her and behind her, her mom, her family, as they walk through this time. And God, that as she grieves the loss on earth of her father, that underneath that grief that keeps her from despair is the joyful knowing that one day every single tear will be wiped away and every single relationship will be restored. For eternity, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, Amen. Because yeah. it's the truth, right? Like, if it's not for Jesus, this is a to- it's a total loss. But because of the cross, there's nothing that's permanent. There's nothing that's a total loss, and everything is temporary. And everything will be restored and redeemed in the fullness of time. And so we're so thankful for that. Um, If you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 15, um, verse 12. John 15 is an amazing chapter. John 16 is an amazing chapter. You know, they really are all amazing. But 15, 16, 17, you know, it's this time where Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry and he's really just trying to simply lay things out for the disciples. It's the time where you find him in John 17 praying for you. He says, I pray not only for them but for all who would hear their testimonies. So that includes me and you. You can read that and you can take that prayer that Jesus prays and know that it's a prayer that he prayed over you. And you can read through that prayer, and you can hear his heart for you, his heart for us, his heart for his, his bride. Um, but John 15, chapter 12, Jesus is talking. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you would grow and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive, uh, that they're not just words on a page, that it's you, God, that you are the word, Jesus, that, that you're the word become flesh. Um, And I thank you for this. I thank you that as as we read from your word and we speak from your word, Holy Spirit, that you would come and just breathe on it, that you open our ears to hear and our minds to understand, our hearts to be good soil, God, that the seed of your word would go into the soil of our hearts, Father, and would burst forth with fruit. God, that a world that doesn't know you would taste the fruit of our lives and know that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. So... So this is amazing, right? We have this divine initiative from Jesus. He's talking. He says, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And in case they weren't sure exactly what he meant when he said, as I have loved you, he then qualifies that and says, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And in the moment, they didn't know exactly what he was talking about, but very soon they would understand what he was talking about when he said, and this is the greatest love. This is the way that I'm going to love you. It's to lay down your life. For your friends, and he says. He says, if you do this, he says, you're my friends. He said, you are my friends if if you do what I command you. And this would be the first time that they would ever hear Jesus call them friends. This would be the very first time. It would be a shock to them that that the Son of God. The, the, the one who's been walking on water and healing the sick and, and, and raising the dead and multiplying food and doing all these amazing things, who's the one, the Messiah, would look at them and say, I call you my friends. And he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends, for a servant doesn't know what his master's business is. Now he's saying, listen, there was a time where you guys didn't understand why you were doing what you were doing. You just did what you were told. But now there's a day that's come where I've actually made everything that the Father's made known to me, I've made it accessible to you. I'm not keeping you in the dark. I'm no longer holding anything from you as servants. Now I'm going to trust you as friends to go and do the things that I've called you to do and to follow the life that I modeled for you to live. You know, it's like when, when, you, are, um, when you work for, for a company, a lot of times there's these secrets And the higher up you go the ladder, the more secrets they let you in on. You know, like everybody doesn't know everything. Everybody knows a few things. And then a few more people know a little more and a few more until you get to the very top. And there may be a few people at the very top that just know, that have been entrusted with everything. And and the kingdom of God, when Jesus said this, he made it open and said, basically, there's nobody that has something that's not available to you. There is no like. There's no special anointing that gives somebody something that's not available to you. There's giftings that he gives to different people. But, but as far as the knowing the things that Jesus came for us to know, he said, everything the Father has given to me, I've made known unto you. And he promised us that the Holy Spirit would take everything the Father gave him and make it known to us. There was one caveat in all of this, and that was that we would seek him earnestly. And so... So Jesus is saying, listen, there was a time where you guys didn't understand and you just did what you were told and, and, and I called you servants, but now I'm calling you up out of being servants and into friendship with me. And it just, I mean, you just think about that for a second, that the God of the universe would call you his friend. Like, it's one thing to say you know somebody, right? Like, like if someone says to you, do you know so-and-so? You have no problem saying, oh yeah, I know them. But if someone says, hey, isn't so-and-so your friend, you, you think about who they're talking about before you claim that. Right? You're like, uh, well, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if i call him a friend. I know, no, you've done that, I've done that, right? Like, Because there are certain people you just don't have that level of relationship with. And you're thinking, no, I don't know that I would actually call them a friend because a friend is so much deeper than just a casual acquaintance. It's somebody that, that you know, that you've spent time with, that you've invested in, that's invested in you. And the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, God made flesh, fully God, fully man, looks at his disciples and says to them, I'm not gonna call you servants anymore, I'm gonna call you my friends because I'm gonna let you in on everything that I know. That the Father's made known to me. I'm not going to keep anything from you. There's nothing hidden. Everything is now available to you because you're no longer servants, you're friends. And He extends that same offer to every single person that would ever come and be called and, and would believe in His name to be called a friend of God, to have everything made known to them. Now, it doesn't come casually. And, and this is not like a works thing, like, oh, you've got to work for it. But it says in Hebrews that he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. He doesn't even just say he's a rewarder of them who seek him. He puts even a a definition on that. Like Jesus has no problems putting conditions on things. God has no problems. We say, well, his love is unconditional. His love is unconditional. He loves you no matter what you've done, no matter where you are. He meets you where you're at, but it's never even for you to stay there. You think about the the father when he comes to the prodigal son. He doesn't meet him on the road and say, you're filthy and you're dirty and you're covered in pig slop and I want you to stay here because that's my desire. And I just love you. No, he comes to him and he overwhelms him with his love, but then he immediately begins to bring him where he desires for him to be. He loves you where you are, but he has no intention of you staying there. He has every intention of bringing you back into the home that he's built, into the kingdom that is his, so that you're no longer living the life that you lived before he came and found you and loved you where you were. We can't, if we confuse the two, we give ourselves permission to stay where we are because God loves me there. God loves you there, but he doesn't love where you are. If he loved where the sun was, he would have built a home there for him. He didn't build a home for him. He didn't make him comfortable there. He didn't bring a chair or any of those things. He actually came to him. And he said, no, I'm going to put the shoes on your feet. I'm going to put the ring on your finger. I'm going to put the robe around you. Why? He's letting him know, I'm not ashamed to call you and for everyone to know who you are right where you are. Everyone that sees you will know you're my son because of the robe that I'm putting upon you because of the ring on your finger. I'm covering your feet because I don't want you to bring anything from that life back into where we're going. This is what he's saying to him. But notice what he does. He says, now let's God loves me where I am. Is not is never, ever permission for me to stay where he has no desire for me to be, ever. Him loving me where I am means that there's nowhere I could go that disqualifies me from going where he desires for me to be the minute my heart is towards him. You need to know that. Because otherwise, you'll find yourself giving yourself permission to stay somewhere he has no intention for you to be in the name of, what? Well, he just loves me where I am. Listen, he loves everybody where they are but he also has a plan for every person's life that has nothing to do with them staying there and everything to do with them coming into the home and being the sons and the daughters he created them to be. Jesus has no no problems putting conditions on things. He says this, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends. If. If you do what I've commanded you. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like grace. Listen, grace is the fact that he would be willing to call me a friend. Any condition he wants to attach to it is fine with me because he's the one who makes the terms the fact that he's willing to overlook everything that I've ever done, the fact that he's willing to purchase my life, the fact that he's willing to trade his life for mine and shed his blood for me, and in my worst moment that he would say he's worth the life of my son Jesus, and in my worst moment Jesus would say to the Father, I'll die on a cross for him, that is grace. That Him asking me anything of me that he wants to ask is perfectly okay because grace has empowered me to do anything that he's asking me to do. He's not saying I'll show you grace if you do this, he's saying I've shown you grace and that grace is come so that now everything I ask you to do, you're actually empowered and capable of doing because there's going to be a lot that I'm going to ask of you. Yes. He said, disciples, he said, are you capable of drinking this cup that I'm drinking? They said, we are. And he said, you are. You are capable. Yes. He saw so much more in them than they ever saw in themselves, but he had no problems asking some great things of them. Why? Because he knew the spirit of God would come inside of them and would empower them to be everything that he called them to be. See, he's never going to frustrate us by asking us to do something that's impossible for us to do in the power of the grace and the power of the Spirit of God that lives inside of us. It'll be completely impossible on your own. And it's set up that way because you're never, ever supposed to do anything in your own strength. It's always supposed to be Christ in me. That's the hope of glory for the world. So Jesus says, if you do these things that I've commanded you, and then he he, he says some pretty amazing things. He says, I, 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 don't, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. That's amazing in and of itself. But then he says this. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go. So Never get this idea that like, you came up with this on your own and decided, man, it would be really cool if God would forgive me of my sins. That you never came up with that idea. The fact that you have a desire to be forgiven is because God put it in your heart and drew you to that place of wanting to be forgiven, of wanting to repent. Everything that happens from thereafter is not you choosing anything, it's you responding to the choice that He made on the cross. But it still takes a response. Just like this He says, If you love, if you do what I command you. So there's a condition up front. He says, he says I'll call you friends. Not servants, I'll make everything known to you. He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Everybody wants to build something that lasts. It's put in the heart of every single person by God that you want to create legacy. You want to build something and do something that lasts. Everybody has that desire. Nobody wants to do something that's just going to be temporary and pass away the minute that they're gone. Everybody wants to pour into people. Everybody wants to build something. Even people who aren't born again yet, they have this great desire to build things that will be here forever and to build something that will last. It's because that's put eternity is put into the heart of man by God. And so he says, listen, I appointed you to do this, and I appointed you that you would bear fruit that would last, that would remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. That's incredible. He says, I'll call you my friend. And just so you don't ever think that like it was your idea and I might make my, change my mind about you, remember this. I chose you. You didn't choose me. And, and I chose you for a reason. And I appointed you to bear fruit and fruit that would remain. Those are all amazing things. And then he says, so that what, he says this, so that whatever you ask of the father in my name, he may give you. Look, I didn't make that up. Paul didn't write that, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Even if he, if he did, it would be good enough because it's the word of God. But these are Jesus' words. This is whatever you ask. He says, I'm calling you to this place of loving and laying your life down the way I'm you're going to show you how to lay your life down. He says, if you do that, I'll call you my friend. I chose you and I appointed you to bear fruit and fruit that will remain and whatever you ask of the Father, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give you. And then he qualifies it again. This I command you, that you love one another. So he starts off saying, love one another. He then gives us this amazing things of what we'll do if. He says, you're my friends if you do what I command you. And then everything after that is qualified by that if. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Why did he call them friends? If you do what I command you. For all that I've heard from the Father, I've made known to you. Who is he making everything that he's heard from the Father known to? It's the ones on this side of the if that lay down their lives and love one another the way he demonstrated. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Who did he appoint to go and bear fruit? Fruit that remains everybody on this side of the if. Because it's qualified by that. And then he says, he says, so that whatever you ask in the Father, in the, of the Father in my name, he may give you. Who is he making this promise to? It's everybody on this side of the if that, he, that love one another and lay their life down for one another the way he laid his life down for us. And then he, he finishes it up with that same command. He says, this I command you in case they forgot, in case they were so enamored with these things. You guys got to understand something. They're hearing Jesus speak to them. This is the first time they've heard this. That would be a lot to take in. We've read these, and we've heard these, and we've sang these, and you know, it's. I think sometimes because of that, like it loses the 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 power that maybe it would have had for the disciples when they were hearing this come from Jesus's mouth for the very first time, all at once. You imagine how overwhelming this would be. For one thing, he tells me he calls me a friend. He's going to make everything known to me. He's appointed me to bear fruit. He didn't choose him; he chose me. And on top of that, he says, "So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, He'll give to you." They would have heard all these promises in about a course of 15 to 25 seconds. And he follows it up with, this is my command, that you love one another. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal of all of our instruction, of everything the Bible teaches us, has one goal, one single focus, and that's love. Jesus said that if you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor, love your brother, love your friend, depending on which translation you read, as yourself, that on this hangs all the law of Moses and the prophets, that everything that's commanded is wrapped up in those two things, to love God and out of the overflow of the love that we have with him, to love others the way we love ourselves and lay down our lives. Yes, Lord. You guys hear rain. I hear pollen getting washed away. There's these little golden streams right now heading down to the sewer where it belongs. (laughs) And so we talked last week about how this lack of love could really cause some things to happen. We talked about how a lack of love could really lead to a fear of man. That, that if, we, if we're afraid of people's opinion of us, if we're afraid of what people would think or would say or, or we're afraid of what their response might be, then it's not really so much a fear problem that we have, it's a lack of love problem because we're more concerned with ourselves than we are with them. And so we're more worried about what the response may be than what the result might be if we never did the thing that we're worried about them responding to. And all that comes down to is a lack of love because uh, in 1 John he says, perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love for perfect love casts out fear. In other words, if I'm loving you and laying my life down for you the way Jesus perfectly loved me, I'm not going to have any fear of your response to my love. There will be no fear on my side of what your response may or may not be. There will be no fear of, well, what happens if they don't, or what if this, or what if that. I'm not even thinking along those lines because I'm not doing it for the response. I'm doing it out of love for you. So that doesn't even enter my mind. And if I find myself worried about what people will think of me or what people may say about me or what people's response may or may not be, the problem isn't for me to say, okay, I'm just not going to be afraid anymore. The problem is for me to say, God, help me to love. Help me to love them more so that the love that I have for them would cast out any ounce of fear that might try to creep in when I'm doing what you've called me to do. Listen, every single one of us is called, This is when I was talking about that earlier, to preach the gospel in and out of season, to give answers for our faith in and out of, what is he saying? See, listen, there's never a time that's bad. We're always called to this thing. And some of us, our call looks different than others, but every one of us is called to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And if I am afraid, it's not because I have a fear problem as much as I have a lack of love problem. So we talked about that last week, and, and, and I feel like there's another place where, where maybe that, that lack of love can cause problems. Um, um, open your Bibles or turn your Bibles over to Romans chapter 8. Uh, verse 28, it's such a famous verse, and, and I've had this verse said to me so many times over the past five weeks, um, and, and sometimes the way it's said, I look at it, and I, I, I just sometimes bite my tongue, and if I feel like the time's right, then I start asking questions and try to get to the bottom of it, but it says, and we know that God causes all things, period. That's not what the verse says, but that's the way it's relayed sometimes. Well, you know, we know that God causes all things. No, that's not what this verse is saying. There's more. It's just like if you were to read in Romans where he says, well, yeah, you know, we're all sinners because through the sin of Adam, everyone became sinners. Keep reading. Because then it says, for if by the sin of one man, the many became unrighteous, how much more then did the many become righteous through the obedience of one man, Jesus Christ? You have to keep reading things and remember that there's no period there. And if there's a period, read the next sentence and make sure that it doesn't tell you the answer to the problem that it just presented. The gospel never presents a problem without also presenting the answer if you just keep reading a little bit. So it says, and we know that God causes all things, causes all things to work together. He causes all things to work together. Not he causes all things. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Listen, we live in a fallen world, and, and we ask ourselves a lot of times, we ask this question of why. We look around, we see things that have happened, and we ask why. And, and I've, I've had some pretty big whys in the past year of my life, and I've just kind of made a decision that until he speaks, I'm done asking why, because I haven't found a lot of good answers at the end of that question. We live in a fallen world. We do stupid things. The Bible talks about in Ecclesiastes. It says, why be foolish and die before your time? That's in your Bible. Sometimes we do stupid things. When people decide that they're going to jump out of an airplane without a parachute and land in a net, and they miss the net, that's not God causing that to happen. That's stupidity. That's foolishness. I promise you God's not up in heaven blowing them off course so they don't hit the net (laughs) any more than he's grabbing steering wheels and crashing cars into each other to cause bodily harm to his children. So the why is kind of irrelevant a lot of times, unless there's, you know, it talks about in the Bible, it says that you know, that there's consequence for sin. He says, when, you've, when you're being persecuted, make sure it's not because of sin. In other words, there could be times you're going through hard things in your life and it could be because of sin. He says, he's talking about rejoicing and persecution. He says, but make sure that persecution is not because of sin. In other words, don't stand around rejoicing when you're committing sin and it's causing problems in your life and saying, wow, I'm so thankful that I'm found worthy to, to suffer for Jesus. No, you're suffering because you're doing something that's against his word and you're suffering a natural consequence that's a result of it. Don't glory in that, he says. Okay, So the why thing is kind of irrelevant, but, but here's the thing it does say. We know that he causes all things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. It's, but listen, so we can't just say, well, we know God works all things for good. No, it says he works all things for good for those that he conditions it. Here he goes again with those conditions. This is not a blanket statement. It's like if, if I come to you and I say to you, I say, Scott, you can come over to my house. There's a key hidden underneath the watering can, and you can come and go as you please. Just make sure when you leave, shut the light off and use that key to lock the front door. And someone else is standing around and overhears that. That's not for you. And if I find you in my home, I'm going to ask you what you're doing there. Why? Because I gave it specific. I qualified it when I said it to the person that I meant it to. And the problem is sometimes we hear promises in the word that are made to specific people and we qualify ourselves for them and then we have problems and we don't understand why we're not seeing the word of God come true, but yet we're standing outside of the promise demanding that God would actually violate his word to come and bless us where we are rather than asking ourselves, how do we get to the place that he promised the blessing to be? If you wanted to be able to come and go to my house, you don't say, well, I heard him say it to one person, so unless I say... To Scott, but I say, now, this is for everyone. I'm talking to you, but I mean this for everyone as well. So when he says, to all that are called according to his promise, he's not just talking to the people. When he said in the garden, now, my prayer is for them, but not only for them, but all who would hear and receive their testimony. Now, that qualifies everybody into that picture. And he's very careful to make sure and let us know when he's speaking to everyone, when he's speaking to specific people, And when he's putting a condition on things. And here he's put a big condition on this. He says, now we know that God works all things for good. Causes all things to work for good. For those, to those who love God. And to those who are called according to his purpose. So, so there's a condition here that, that God conditions him working all things to good. Which of those two is is changeable? When you read this. Which of these two is actually capable of being changed? The, those who love God or the those who are called according to his purpose? There's a promise in Romans chapter 11, verse 29. It says, for the gift and calling of God are irrevocable. Meaning, once God calls you, he never uncalls you. So that can't be changed. Once he's called you, you're called according to his purpose. And that's an unchanging, un, unviolated and, and complete condition that is always met once you're called by God. That half of the equation is always met the minute that you are called by the Father because it's irrevocable. It is unconditional, and it doesn't change. Now, our response to that call determines whether or not we're chosen because it says many are called few are chosen right but those who are called according to his purpose you and i are all called according to his purpose the reason that you are in the family of god is because he spent the life of his son jesus christ to pay for your sin to buy your life and he called you into his family and offered a way of salvation once he did that it's unchangeable and that's not changing so and i believe the enemy knows this because he knows the word Remember, he used the word against Jesus. So he's read that verse that says that it's it's irrevocable, the calling of God. So of the two, which of the two do you think he's going to work on to try to disqualify? Because here's what I think. I think that he wants to disqualify you from this to cause frustration and bitterness in your life, not just towards other people, but ultimately towards the Father. So he says, if he can't change God's mind about you, right? So he can't change God's mind about you because when God called you, it's irrevocable. He'll work so hard to change your mind about God. And so um, I, I wrote this down, and I want to say it exactly like I wrote it. What if the bait of offense, remember we talked about this a while ago, about the, the bait of offense and, and scandal and all that? What if the bait of offense that we talked about a little while ago, and to be angry and hateful in your heart towards someone, has a lot to do with the enemy trying to keep you from experiencing God's goodness in situations that the Lord wants to work for good? Because First John 4.20 says this, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I think sometimes we by our response are waiting for God to redeem and work something for good in our situation. And he's actually waiting for us to respond in a way that qualifies us to see him work it for good. And and, and here's the truth. So, so take something that was done, right? Something happened, and because of this, you allowed bitterness in your heart. I don't think that he can change the fact that you love God like in a big picture way, but I think he can change your love for him in situations, in the way that you respond and the way you treat other people. So he says, how can you say that you, hate, you love your bro- hate your brother whom you have not seen and say that you love God whom you have? In other words, you can't in this situation have hatred towards your brother and claim to be loving God in that situation. And so I think what happens a lot of times is this, is that a situation happens and it causes us to be bitter and it causes us to be angry. And then we stand around quoting this verse while holding bitterness and anger and hatred in our hearts towards somebody else. And we quote this verse over and over again. And we say, well, I know God's going to work this for good. I know he's going to work this for good because I love him. i am called according to his purpose. But we have hatred towards someone we have seen In other words, we're not in that situation loving God. We're not surrendered and submitted to God's will because he said not to harbor hatred in your heart towards your brother. And then we're asking God to do what he said he would do, but we're standing outside of the conditions that he said. And then we start to get angry and bitter at God because he's not working the situation for good And now all of a sudden we have another problem because it's starting to directly affect our heart towards the father. And now we're starting to make accusation against him saying, I thought you said that you would do this and I'm this and I'm that and I meet these. And no, you don't meet the qualifications because while you may be worshiping and praising and loving God in this situation, outside of that situation, when it comes to the offense or when it comes to the thing that was done or the thing that you don't understand or the harm that was done, you actually have a lot of bitterness and anger and hatred into your heart and you're holding that and you're not loving God That situation because you're not loving your brother, you're not loving the person that was involved, or you have offense towards the father and you allow hatred and anger and bitterness towards him into your heart. And then you stand here quoting a verse over and over again, demanding he do something, and there's no response from heaven because the conditions that he set forth in that promise are not being met and fulfilled by us. And the frustration grows and snowballs and the longer we stay frustrated and angry the more hateful, the more hurt the more bitter we become and the more we ensure that we disqualify ourselves from receiving the very thing that we're angry we didn't receive when we allow things done to us to cause us to harbor hatred towards someone not towards what was done you can hate what was done you can hate it not towards the enemy. You can hate the enemy. You can hate the devil's influence and the devil's work on this earth. You can absolutely hate this. It says that we'll hate what God hates if we love him. God hates sin. He hates the enemy. He hates what he does. You can direct hatred towards that. But if we actually allow it to cause us to direct hatred towards the person... We can tie God's hands, and while he does have a plan to redeem things and restore and bless, he'll honor our choice. And no amount of quoting a scripture will change that because we're reminding him of the reason that we're not receiving every time we quote the condition. We can hate or we can receive from him, but we can't do both. Um, I've told this story a bunch of times, but it's the best example I know of, of, of seeing this happen with my own eyes. There, um, there was a time where my wife and I had um, allowed a, a homeless guy to come and live with us, and he lived with us for months. And um, he, for some reason, I mean, to the point where we entrusted him in our home when we went on vacation, just left him there and left him the run of the place, and um, You know, I brought him to work every morning till he we had his own moped the church bought him and I dropped him off, brought him home and he ate dinner with us. He lived with us as part of the family for months and then he just kind of went off the rails and and uh, he went out and got drunk and got really angry with me and accused me of of of, hating him because he drank and I'm like, dude, I, I picked him up while he was full of you know his own bodily fluids and brought him home and stripped him down and washed him and put clothes on him, and told him, look, this doesn't change anything. We love you. Like, we don't feel any differently towards you. He's like, oh, I ruined everything. I said, you didn't ruin anything. You made a mistake. We've all made mistakes. We love you. And one night, uh, and we thought everything was good. The next morning, um, I got a call. The church had been broken into. Got here, and a guitar had been stolen. But in the process of stealing the guitar, they made coffee. And they used the sugar bowl, and they put a spoonful of sugar in and stirred it, and then put the sugar spoon back in the bowl, which makes those little sugar balls. And when Patty saw that, she said, I know who did this. Yeah. And he knew where the key that we used to hide was. And so, um, so we had to fill out a, a police report just for the insurance things, and we didn't even tell them that we thought it was him or any of that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, because there was some damage done and stuff was broken. And a guitar that was like, I think, 2,500 bucks or something was stolen. And, and our church was pretty broke at the time. And so we're like, well, we need to file an insurance report, you know. And uh, we were, man, we had, we had, we, we had a bills of a big church that we had just started, you know, and been this thing kind of thrown to us, it's a different story, and, and so we, we were tight. And so, anyways, we filed a police report, and, um, and, and, and I remembered, I, I knew who did it, and, and I remember my response towards them was of heartbreak for them. I was thinking, man, how, how bad would that be where you're in this place where you would actually, if he would have asked us, we would have given him. And, 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 like, the fact that you could live with us for months as part of our family, eat dinner with us every month, go, to, go on, 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 you know, outings with us, and, and everyone that came into our home, you're we introduced to as one of our friends. And we never were like, this is the homeless guy. We just introduced him to everybody by his name and said he's a friend of ours that's living with us. And, and, and I, I would just, my heart was breaking for him that you could live that way for so long and yet not actually change the way you think to the point where you could resort to coming and breaking in and stealing stuff. And it broke my heart for him. And I just remember, we, I talked to a couple people that were really angry with him. And, and I just told him, I said, you know, he, he needs our prayer. Like, we'll be fine. But he's the one in trouble. Like, he really does. He needs our prayer. And I remember some people saying, like, well, you can do that. I'm going to be mad. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, we can't be. And, um, and so um, I remember driving home. And went, I went out to the mailbox to get the mail like I did every day when I got home. And I opened up the mailbox. And there's a letter in there, and I opened it up, and there's a check in there for $25,000, which was 10 times the amount that the guitar was going to cost to replace. And it was from someone that's never been to our church, and there's just a note that said, we heard about the things your church is doing and wanted to give to it. And I, I was so thankful, obviously, and all that. But later, as I was studying the Scripture out a while ago, I had this thought, what if God outside of time sees the response of our heart And the way that we respond to being sinned against and moves on the heart of someone or moves things into place to bless and restore even above what was taken or what was damaged before the thing even happened because he sees what the response of our heart is going to be. And so he's already moved on the heart of somebody to restore all that was taken times 10 because he saw outside of time the response that your heart would have when you found yourself in that situation, and he works everything for good. That story's a long story. I mean, it, it involves getting the guitar back, praying for a guy that found the guitar. Um, it includes Dennis going to a rehab rather than going to jail and now working at a halfway house. And, um, yeah, just, I mean, amazing stuff. But, but I thought about that. Like, what if the reason that check was already in the mailbox is because God, outside of time, saw that our church family would respond in love. And we're obviously called according to his purpose, but, but we also love him. And because we love him out of the overflow of love for him, even the person who did something to us, we love them as well. And what if God saw that? That would be the response of our heart. And he went ahead and moved on the heart of somebody before the thing even happened so that the minute I went home after being discouraged with what was going on here, I walked in, opened up a check, and there was 10 times the amount that we were going to have to pay out for what the enemy meant for evil. And That's how God worked it for good. and I was just just thinking about this this like what if what if we're made, waiting for him to move and he's actually waiting on us to forgive and let love cover a multitude of sin? What if our breakthrough is actually more tied to our response than to whether or not God wants to? What if he always wants to? because he declared it in his word, yet his Actual break, our breakthrough is more tied to our response than it is to God's desire. What if he's already bringing someone into your life to fill the void left by the friend that deserted you or betrayed you because he saw that you would love that person that deserted you or betrayed you even in the middle of them deserting and betraying you? What if guarding our hearts is a lot bigger deal than we know. And that's why he wrote, above all else, guard your heart. I was just going to close up with this. When we think of repentance, a lot of times we we think of asking forgiveness. But repentance in its purest form means change the way you think. And there's a lot tied to that. And a lot of times it does require asking forgiveness. but, But what if repentance in these situations a lot of times looks like us just changing the way we think towards the person or towards the event? That's caused anger and bitterness to have a hold in our lives, that's disqualified us from receiving what God wants to work for good in our lives. What if it's not about you doing anything wrong in this situation? What if it's simply about what you allowed into your heart as a result of what was done wrong to you that actually needs to change? so that we're not standing outside of the qualifications that God set forth to work it for good. What if we could stand outside of those qualifications and quote that scripture until we're blue in the face, and God will no more move then than he did the day before, because he's not in heaven waiting for a good time to respond. He's actually waiting for us to step into what he called us to, so that we can step into that place, and we can position our hearts to receive what he wants to do. Because I think this, I think that, that a lack of love causes a ton of problems. But I think two of the greatest problems are the fear of man we talked about last week and disqualifying us from receiving things he wants for us because we're so busy being hurt, angry, and bitter that we don't love each other the way we're called to. And we disqualify ourselves. He's just and kind and good he has no problems putting a requirement, putting a prerequisite on a promise that he makes, and he has no problem holding on to that promise until we step into the place of meeting everything that's asked of us. So I just want to take us to take a minute and, and really just ask ourselves is there a situation where where maybe something happened? And I'm not saying that you know you even have to know the why. Don't force yourself to have an answer where God's not speaking. But is there any situation where maybe something was done or something happened or something went wrong and it allowed bitterness towards a person or even towards the Father into your heart? And not that you did something wrong and you need to go and ask forgiveness for it. I'm talking about that you need to repent, change the way you think about the situation or about the person so that you can actually step into that place of seeing him work it for good. Because you love him and you're called according to his purpose. Just take a second and ask him that. Is there a situation or a relationship or a thing that's happened where it's just been the source of frustration and you've thought to yourself, I thought God said he would work all things for good and you feel like he's abandoned you or he's forgotten that promise. And if there is, just ask him if maybe there's some repentance that needs to take place on your behalf where you need to start changing the way that you think about what happened, what was done, the situation, or even God's role. Because the enemy can't change God's mind about you, but he'll certainly work hard to change your mind about God. He can't change the fact that you're called, but he'll try his best to make you not love because he doesn't want to see things worked for your good. What was done was bad enough. The fact that it's still stealing is even worse. So Father, I just ask that if there is those places in our lives, you know, if if you know one of those and you need to, I want you to stand up just because I want to talk right to you. If there's something that as we're talking about this, you're thinking about and you're realizing, you know what, I I do need to change the way I think about that person or the event or towards the Father even because of what happened. If that's you, just stand up where you are. We're not going to ask you to to, to yell and tell people what it is. Yeah. Because the enemy came to kill, to steal, and to destroy. It's what he does. It's why he came. Jesus said that. That was a description as much as a promise. And he would love to kill, steal, and destroy anything that you let him. He can't take from you, but he'll take everything you give him. And I I don't, if you need to repent, if you need to go ask forgiveness, then repent and go ask forgiveness if that's the case. But I have a feeling there's a lot of people here who our repentance in this situation looks like us seeing and thinking differently about what happened or about the person that it happened through or to. And I don't want to see any of us sit around quoting a verse And the whole time, reminding God of why he can't do what it is that he promised to do as we tie his hands by stepping out of the place that he called us to. So God, I just ask right now that you would bring the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the clarity and wisdom that only he can bring to see these things for what they are, God. That anywhere we've made judgments towards people or towards you that has caused us to step out of love, God, that we would change the way we think, that we would take that back, that we would see them with your eyes, God, and we would see them through the lens of the cross and through forgiveness, that you would saturate it with your blood, God, that you would cover it with your grace and with your mercy, God, that we wouldn't hold on or let bitterness or anger have an ounce of a foothold in us, that we would continue to walk in love, but especially in this situation, that you would show us what it looks like to love you in this situation and to love others. God, we're so thankful that you've never changed your mind about us, that we're always called, but now we ask, God, that you would help us to step into our place of walking in love for you, God, so that we can walk in love with others. I thank you for that. I thank you for what you do when you come, and I thank you for us beginning to see these things changed and worked for our good because we love you, God, and we're called according to your purpose. We thank you for your promise. We thank you for you doing what only you can do, as we do what you have asked us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Uh, Quick update on Aliyah in Kansas. We'll give you the um, announcements. Um, Her surgery was Wednesday. Thank you guys so much for all the prayer and and even just texting, let us know you're praying during that time. Uh, So the words of the surgeons, there was two surgeons that worked on her for almost five hours. Um, And afterwards they said it went as good or better than they could have hoped. Um, They were concerned from the initial uh, CT scans that the bones in her brow line, she had to have her whole forehead replaced, but especially the bones in her brow line and in her nasal cavity were too crushed and damaged to be able to be repositioned, and they would have to use a plate to make that brow line back up, which never looks totally natural. Um, But there was an ENT plastic surgeon working along with the neurosurgeon on her, and he was able to use all of her own bone and reposition everything so that her brow line is completely restored. Yeah. And then they, yeah. Yeah. And then they could attach the plate then to the brow line so that there, it, it just looks like a normal cranium. They did a follow-up CT the next day Said everything looks beautiful. Uh, the, the contours is, is beautiful. I mean, they were just so thrilled with how things... It's like every step of the way, we see his goodness and his faithfulness. And every step of the way, we see people amazed at the faithfulness of God and what he does. And, and we know that the peace that we have comes from two things. One, is this gospel that holds us and it's the belief that we have that he really is the one that we put our our trust in, and he's trustworthy. But it also comes from so many of you guys interceding on our behalf and praying and lifting us up and bearing our burdens and taking that to the cross in intercession. And we so appreciate that. We're so thankful of that. And we're so mindful of all of you and everything that you're doing and that you have done. And we just really thank you and ask you just to continue to pray for full recovery. Um, Yesterday, she was able to walk out of her bed without help, um, all the way down the hall, out the doors, around the long ways of the hospital to the physical therapy gym, do a physical therapy workout, which included walking up and down some stairs, kicking a ball, throwing a ball, and then walk back to the room. Um, and, and they, the whole physical therapy department was just amazed at what she was able to do. So every day we see his hand, we see his face and we're so thankful for him. We're so thankful for you guys. We love you. We'll see you back soon. <laughs>